we don't record this show during the day anymore. We used to record this show during the day sometimes. We've been recording at night for a long time now. If we recorded this show during the day, I would have snorted an Adderall to prepare myself for this episode. Why? Because you're worried about falling asleep? <laughs> no, I feel like this dude just writes a ton of songs about doing drugs, and you know what I mean? You can't do cocaine in 2023. It's full of fucking drugs that'll kill you, so. Snore a piece of Adderall, but I can't do that. I'll be up till fucking four in the morning, and I got shit to do, 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 do. The weekend released his first three albums in one year. He calls it a trilogy, and they were mixtapes, but it's basically a triple album. Oof. That's how it eventually got officially released. Just to clear up any confusion, when we tell bands to not make a double album, mm. this is absolutely not what we're saying to do instead. <laughs> First of all, the problems of a double album are not solved by going even further up your own ass and making a triple album. That's way worse. We should be able to give artists... Uh, narcissistic test or whatever a regular album you're probably already a narcissist a double album like you're probably a bigger narcissist if you do a triple album you're basically a psychopath who the hell wants to record that many songs and release it into the world even if you release two or three quote-unquote separate albums in one year that you might nah, as well just release nah. a triple album yeah. that functionally produces all of the same negative effects of releasing a double or triple album. Basically, all you're doing is giving people the option of buying parts one, two, or three of your triple album. We should set that as the new guidelines. That's the new rule. You have a two-year window. Any album that comes out within two years of each other is considered a double album. It's got to take time to write more songs. Like I don't care anybody. I mean, write and record songs. It takes time, blah, blah, blah. If you put out two albums in the same year, or three albums in the same year. No, you, 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 that's a triple album. That's one album you just decided to release it a couple months apart. There might be something to forcing artists to do that because I think it would prove a point that we've been making for a long time about double albums. I guess now we have to start talking about triple albums. If they were released separately, I would bet part one of any triple album, the sales of that will always outsell parts two and three yeah, because of how many people are going to say, well, shit, I'm not going to buy all three of these at once. I'm going to buy the first one and see if I like that. And then if I do, I'll come back and buy parts two and three. There's no way that a hundred percent of the people who buy part one are going to come back for part three. Ever since the iPhone came out, people don't have attention spans. Is anybody really going to sit down and listen to like more than five songs at a time? What do you do? Get in your car and just drive around and listen to 30 straight songs or some shit? People just don't care. People just move on to the next thing so so quick. Everything you just said is a reflection of the quality of listening material. The kind of person who's going to put out a double or triple album is nearly never the kind of person who's going to spend, I don't know, the 10 years that it would take to create a triple album that was actually good and worth being a triple album. Right. That's not who's doing this shit. People who are doing this shit are the people who are like, yeah, I just cranked that out in a year. I'm a genius, so not, <laughs> not a big deal to me. Maybe, maybe it's impressive to you. But then you go listen to it, you're just like, dude, all of these are unfinished songs. Yeah. You <laughs> recorded half of an album and just spread out the stems across multiple tracks on the fucking album. And if you're making pop music, just straight up pop, straight down the middle pop music, God, dude, nobody cares. It's all going to be replaceable bullshit that you're making. You're churning it out anyways. 
I can't imagine if Justin Bieber, if anybody <laughs> put on a double, even a double album or even an album with more than like 10 songs on it. It's like you are wasting everyone's time. Justin Bieber should put out a double album. <laughs> Justin, if you're listening, let's get that double. Drop the double. And also uh, uh, the second album can't be live versions. That's no, cheating. No, 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 no. Uh, so yeah, w- when you do this, when the kind of people who make double and triple albums and are serious about it, just toss this stuff out. What they have done is not to give fans a gigantic quantity of a thing they're going to enjoy. What these artists have done essentially is let fans in on what should have been the first round of the artist editing process. This isn't the part where you put an album out. This isn't a part where you put a double album out. It's the part where you sit down, look at all of these ideas you have started, cut all of the ones that are just already bad. If you can hear the beginning of a song and know, well, that's never going to be a single, drop that and drop any other song like that. Then spend 100% of your time and energy focused on turning the good ideas that you have for the beginnings of songs into finished songs that you will be playing in your set 30 years from now. This is an opportunity to make some of your greatest hits. It's not just, let's release all these half-finished ideas Let's give the fans access to a part of my creative process that I'm never actually going to complete because I just release it this way. That's where they hide behind that mixtape thing, though. Like, oh, it's not an actual album. It's just a mixtape. What if you mix the tape into an album? (laughs) You call it a (laughs) mixtape because you don't want people to take it too serious. It's Hey, you don't get it, man. When you're such a genius, you don't even have to finish your ideas. Just the beginnings of your unfinished ideas, because you're a genius, it's so much better than everyone else's finished songs. So you might as well release it as soon as you think of it and then just get started on the next one. I guess this is probably true for so much of pop music. These stories just like pave the way for more people to make uninspired shitty music that's what sucks they listen to these stories of like well the weekend did it and it's like oh god so that means you're gonna try the circle of death in pop music there's a saying really almost a philosophy in show business which is that you should leave the audience wanting a little more always leave them one more this is not to say you should disappoint everyone by refusing to give them the things that they want but you should give them enough of the things they want that they will leave thinking, damn, I could have gone for at least another hour of that. That's good. You want people leaving the show feeling that way. The weekend's approach is the opposite of that. Even if he had taken the time working on a trilogy of albums to make sure it was his masterpiece, it would forever be regarded as his masterpiece. Even if he obsessed over every second of sound to communicate some kind of vision The fans who were excited on the way in would be checking their watch when the third act starts. Like, how much longer is this going to go on? Yeah, uh, I'll be honest with you. When your biggest songs, you're getting sued for half of them because you plagiarized somebody else's music. It probably just made very replaceable music. The weekend to me, like when I was listening to it on the way over here to re-familiarize myself, unfortunately, it was some of this trash. Oh, this is like background music at that new hip steakhouse that just opened in your city. That's what it feels like I'm listening to. I can't imagine wanting to go see this dude live or actually listen to this on purpose. Yeah, there's a lot of self-contradictory elements of this that make it pretty extremely unenjoyable. There's just a disparity between what this guy thinks he's doing versus what he's actually doing. 
the things that he thinks he's doing and the things that he's actually doing don't fit with the vibes of the music almost ever. Not until later when he starts working with Max Martin, which I think we need to come up with a rule for this yeah. show. We're like, if you <clears> do yeah. something with Max Martin and it's cool, doesn't even count, dude. It doesn't count. <laughs> like, yeah. You didn't do that. You were an employee that day, sir. If it comes out, everything that the weekend ever put out was AI generated nonsense. I would totally believe you. You would stick anyone. I, I swear to God, if you're listening to this podcast, you could sit down with Max Martin, never written a song in your life. And through the glory of auto tune and people that know how to make things sound great, you could have a top 40 hit song. Hardly anybody better on earth that are good at churning these things out. The weekend is just another piece of puzzle that will just get booted out and forgotten about in 10 years. Yeah, there's no such thing as not liking a Max Martin production, at least like once he figured out what he was doing and hit his stride and everything. You either like it or hate the fact that you like it, but there's no such thing as not liking it. You might be pissed off about the fact that you like it, sure. but you fucking like it. <laughs> so the whole premise of the weekend is, and this is a fact, this is something that I haven't seen very many journalists or fans or critics or anyone even address, which is really surprising to me, but this is a fact. All of this is just an offshoot of that whole drug addict SoundCloud rapper thing that was huge at exactly the point in time and history when The Weeknd first started to get some momentum behind it. The 18-year-old kids with face tattoos who named themselves after some drug or some type of drug and Every single song they do is about how they want to die. So they're just going to do as many drugs as they can until they die. In real life, a lot of these dudes are dead now because they weren't lying, apparently. Uh, to anyone not still stuck in the mindset of a teenager going through puberty, that whole thing came off as a pretty pathetic moment. And I think if you apply all the criticisms you had of that to the weekend, you will realize this is just a new R&B version of that culture. Or an attempt towards that vibe. Yeah, it's like, I guess, the prettier version of it or something. It's going to get on the radio. You're not going to hear a SoundCloud rapper on the radio. Yeah, less dark, but very similar <laughs> undertones of what we're singing about and writing about. Very much less clever, too. I should point out, a lot of rappers are obviously more lyrically developed than most R&B artists, I think yeah. is a fair thing to say. Yeah, yeah. So lyrically, you put these kids on a microphone and they're going to come up with some shit that is occasionally clever or funny or a new way of saying something. But The weekend never. It just goes back. I'm just going to say this over and over again this whole episode. It's just, it's just so generic and replaceable. Even lyrically, I was just like, this is just corny. We've talked about this in other episodes. I genuinely feel like, especially now with AI getting to the point where it can write lyrics to a song, pop music is headed towards a cliff. The Weeknd is one of many artists that will be lined up at the edge of it as AI pushes them all off the cliff one at a time going, you're all just replaceable nonsense. And I'm looking forward to it because when you read interviews with people who work in pop music, they will invariably say something like, I mean, I can write 50 rock albums a day. You don't have to be good. Write a number one pop single. That's what's hard. Yeah. It's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't think so, actually. <laughs> There's a lot of artists, pop artists that we still talk about because they did something interesting or unique. I don't know if anybody that's in the pop world for the last 20 years has done anything really that memorable, at least in this genre of pop. No. What are the five words to describe cocaine? Okay, what does cocaine do to you? Oh, it makes your face numb. Hmm. It's like a Wikipedia article about cocaine. I got it. 
just I can't feel my face. Oh shit. Oh shit. He's so fucking smart. Oh my god. The vibe of the weekend's music is I'm a piece of shit doing piece of shit things that I am very not sorry about. And that is fine. The annoying thing is he seems to want to think of this stuff and many people will agree with him and they want to think of this stuff as if it goes deeper than that. As if this guy is just using all of this as a setup through which he is going to say important things, say things of value. I have not found a single example of him actually doing that. I don't have any examples of him communicating any idea more complex than I have sex, girls want to have sex with me. I do drugs, girls want to do drugs with me. Doing drugs and having sex with girls makes me feel nothing and I'm going to keep doing it. And again, there's nothing wrong with writing songs about that it's just can you do it in a new way can you do it and make it seem fresh when you do it or are you just repeating juvenile tired are you talking the way that you talked when you were trying to get laid in high school still Mm -hmm. okay well that's what it sounds like (laughs) we never grew out of that all right here we are if you're gonna base your whole persona on being the dirtbag guy who everybody's girlfriend wants to fuck you should be extremely eloquent in all of the ways you can describe that situation. In the song House of Balloons, this is the title track of The weekend's first mixtape, which most people would clock as a suggestion. This guy believes this song is at least pretty important, at least represents sort of a unifying theme that he is presenting in this package. One of the lyrics about how much a girl wants to fuck him is, she gives me sex in a handbag, got her wetter than a wet nap. Did you just try to think of the grossest way you could describe someone wanting to fuck like uh, jesus nothing like uh, a wet nap to uh, are really... you a sociopath <laughs> a yes b if you're not are you a necrophiliac because <laughs> i don't know when the last time you used a wet nap was homie uh, but they don't come warm yeah. they come very cold so what is this song about yeah that's a, of all the things of all the, the entire universe of things that are wet just compare it to a mop yeah. yeah, seriously. Oh, shit. There's so many better things. But if you took five fucking seconds and again, if ChatGPT is going to write 20 better ways to describe a woman wanting to have sex with you. If you're going to describe sex parts in that much detail in a song, then you almost always need to have some element of humor added in the mix. Yes. Even if it ultimately yes. is still sexy, sure. you need to get too sexy through funny. Right. And if you're not going to do that, then you need to steer directly at actually straight up sexy. No similes or metaphors or anything. If you're not going to be funny, go right to saying whatever the fuck you're saying. Pussy wet. Just like, say just say pussy so yeah, wet. Then you, it's okay, there you go. Say wet Perfect. ass pussy. There you go. We have an example of yeah. someone doing this. If you're going to get that fucking graphic about it, be straight on and probably also be funny, but at least get to where it's actually still sexy in the end. If he had followed it up with got a wetter than a wet nap, but like a warm one because wet naps come cold, son. <laughs> just leaving it there is completely, completely insane. Reminds me of a solo album that Chris Cornell made with Timbaland, which... Mm-hmm. Yeah, if that's real. If you've never checked it out, do. Uh, it's basically a Timbaland album with Chris Cornell doing the only thing he knows how to do, which is sing like he's still in Soundgarden. So it's a Timbaland album with Soundgarden screaming on top of it. And then all the lyrics he's screaming are about being in the club and hoes and stuff like that. I'm not exaggerating. That's exactly what it is. It's exactly as bad as it sounds like it would be. A lot of the weekend stuff gives off a similar vibe. The musical tracks 
present this feeling of you had a hip hop producer who only came up with beats when they were coming down off cocaine. Real sad downer mode sounds, sonically speaking. But The Weeknd tries to throw hard lyrics on top of it as if he's a hard ass, badass, don't give a fuck type character. It's like, dude, all this music sounds wimpy. You should be singing about... Also, I don't believe you. Like, yeah. you, you don't sound actually hard. So that's a problem. Also, he sings like Michael Jackson. And that's just not, to me, like, sexy. There's nothing really sexy about Michael Jackson singing. It's not, like, sexy music. Uh, this sounds like a, you know, alleged pederast, you know, singing songs, you know? Like, I don't know. It's just not very, it's not sexy to me. Even if he's singing about wet naps. Normally, as soon as someone says the words wet nap, I get a little hard. Now that we've sold a bunch of shirts, maybe people will start responding to them wearing our shirt. We get tagged in posts all the time, I see. Yeah, if you get a shirt. At yfbspod.com. I want to hear the stories. Oh, I definitely want to hear some stories. I bet it's a lot of people laughing at the shirt. I bet when you're walking around in a shirt that says your favorite band sucks on it, you get a lot of people who aren't dumb as fuck going, that shirt's funny. I hope. It's a great conversation starter. Or ender. If you're a single person and you're someone that goes on dates, you should buy a shirt and wear it on a date. Mm -hmm. It's a great litmus test. Figure out right away. Oh, this person I'm going on this date with is favorite band is Weezer. Text your friend. Hey, uh, can you call me in a minute and tell me that you really need my help? Get the fuck out of there. Yeah. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The only way that this would work as a musical project is if it was intended as a postmodern meta commentary on pop music or uh, male fragility. It's not, though. I think this guy takes himself very seriously. And I, I, think I actually totally agree with you. It's funny. It's unintentionally hilarious. Yes. When he tries to be funny, it's not intentionally funny. But when he's trying to be serious or when he's trying to act, I mean, he's acting the whole time, right? We'll, we'll get to his acting later because now this dude is going to be in a TV show. So Barf. you can see how bad of an actor he actually is. This whole character is an act and this whole persona is an act and he's not a good actor. He's not in on it, but it is actually a commentary on this guy thinking that this is what people want to have in a pop star. Another song from House of Balloons called Wicked Game. This is a song about a dude going out to cheat on his girlfriend. And the lyrics are, I left my girl back home. I don't love her no more. And she'll never fucking know that. These fucking eyes that I'm staring at. Let me see that ass. Look at all this cash. Oof. So yeah, um, a lot going on there. The I could have written that. You know how some people are just bad at cussing? Like when they yes. cuss, it doesn't come off as uh, natural. Yes. Teenagers especially do it a lot. They're learning how to cuss and it just doesn't seem like they actually do cuss. This usage of the word fuck comes across that way. These fucking eyes that I'm staring at. It sounds like a Christian kid that just decided to start swearing for the first time in his life. Okay, guys, 
for this album, we're going to say fuck. We're going to say the fuck word. Oh my God. He's using the fuck word to tell us how tough he is about cheating on his girlfriend. But then in the course of the same song, he's trying to get this thought girl who's shaking her ass to tell him that she loves him, even though he knows she doesn't love him. So the point of this whole song is, fuck yeah, I'm so evil and badass for cheating on my girlfriend. Jesus. But also I need these hoes to pretend they love me and not tell their friends that I cry myself to sleep after sex because I'm also trying to fuck their friends because I'm hard. What, man? That's a lot. That's a lot of information that I think you need to take a closer look at before you bring it to anyone else. You never fall in love with your side piece. Asking the girl, like, you're cheating. You're like, what the fuck is wrong with you? God damn, this guy's fucking crazy. So when we talk about how this whole project just presents real half-baked vibes, I think there's a very good reason for that. I assume most fans of The Weeknd have no idea how hard this dude fucked over his original musical partner. Because I can't imagine listening to someone's music knowing they were a big enough piece of shit to just ditch the person they were grinding it out with and act like this was all their idea. Yeah, pretty shitty. If you check the credits on the official trilogy release of the early mixtapes, you will see a guy credited. His name is Jeremy Rose. He's credited with writing and producing the songs Loft Music, What You Need, and The Party section of The Party and the After Party. These are three of the songs most fans of The Weeknd would say are their favorites off House of Balloons. But if you were onto that mixtape right when it came out and checked the credits and information that was available, you probably wouldn't see Jeremy Rose's name anywhere. The year after that mixtape came out, the year after House of Balloons came out, Vice did an interview with Jeremy Rose that was released under the headline, How the Producer of The Weeknd's Breakout Tracks Got Majorly Screwed. In it, you will learn that Jeremy had been working on the song What You Need for a couple years before he ever met Abel. That is the weekend's real name, Abel. Abel heard that song and liked it, so these two guys start working together as a musical duo named The Weeknd, which Jeremy Rose said he came up with. Jeremy Rose also said the dark R&B aesthetic was also his. So Jeremy was the guy paying attention to this trend of nihilistic SoundCloud rappers. He's the guy who thought... This is eventually going to make its way to R&B. I should try to be the guy who actually gets rich from doing that. This is the dude with that vision, that creative vision and business sense. Abel jumps on that whole wavelength, immediately gets a big head and starts trying to be the one who makes all the decisions, tells Jeremy they should not be a musical duo, tells Jeremy that he should just become Abel's producer. Jeremy says, fuck that and walks. But Abel is still out there trying to get a career going using the recordings that he did with Jeremy. The name that Jeremy came up with and the aesthetic for the entire project. This dark, sinister R&B thing. And it happens. Someone on Drake's team posts some songs to Drake's blog, which is what kicks off the first serious bit of hype here. All three of those songs were produced by Jeremy. So what do you think happens next? Abel's not going to come out and say, okay, I'm glad everyone likes these. They were a collaboration between myself and this other guy uh, who, by the way, was also the one who had all the ideas for this. So I'm immediately going to get back together with him and make some more music like that. He didn't do that? No. Shocking. Oh, my God. <laughs> he's going to say, oh, shit, everyone likes Jeremy's songs, but I pissed Jeremy off and he's not going to want to work with me anymore. I need to find some other people to do the Jeremy part of this. In the story as old as the music business, literally from day one, someone gets fucked over by a partner who decides they want to do it themselves and then doesn't give the original person credit. Shocking. News at 11. So now the guy who didn't have the idea for any of this stuff, didn't name it that, didn't have the concepts for it, and didn't have the sound. Now that guy is the guy everyone thinks 
entirely did this. This is why House of Balloons doesn't present itself as a unified vision. And it's also why those next two mixtapes seem like they come from a different universe, because the guy who was the real captain of this ship deboarded the ship before you found out the ship existed. Now you're left here to watch this guy go, oh, shit. Uh, do you like tap dancing? I can tap dance. <laughs> like, what? So it's just I actually legitimately have a real gripe with that. I really don't like it when people say I. This is not, it was a we, bro. We made these songs and you just fucked the, the other we part of it out. A testament to how shitty some people can be and obviously how shitty The weekend was early in his career and probably continues to be to this day. Most people, once they have a little bit of fame, don't all of a sudden wake up one day and go, man, I don't want to be a shitbag anymore. They usually become worse over time. It's shocking, I know. But I, can't, I just can't fathom that. At the very least, if he gave him credit, maybe you'd be like, well, he did give him a lot of credit. He was a huge integral part of it. We went our separate ways. Maybe, okay, yeah, we wouldn't be saying what we're saying, but he didn't. Once it took off, it was like, oh, okay, cool. It's me. I did it. I did all this. You would not even know that Jeremy Rose existed if no. you were paying attention to this stuff in real time. There were only a very few small blogs in the very early days that mentioned Jeremy at all. When these first songs dropped, nobody was sure if The Weeknd was still a musical duo or if it was a group or if it was just a guy. There was all this mystery around it, which helped a lot with carrying the hype and everything. But that's a result of these few blogs in the very early days, pre-Drake blog even, that did mention Jeremy Rose. But then when all that hype happened and Abel made the rest of House of Balloons, that came out as a mixtape on which Jeremy was not credited. Yeah. It was only when the official trilogy release happened that Jeremy finally received credit because if they didn't credit him on an official release, he could have sued the shit out of him and won. Yeah. Some scumbaggery shit, dude. It just is. If you're in a band with multiple people or you're a producer or you're working with an artist, you should probably record as many conversations Ooh, as you yeah, can. Yeah. Like get as much audio recording and even better if it's video of all of your business conversations. If you can't afford a lawyer, which you should. Certainly every songwriting session. <laughs> yes, absolutely every, every songwriting session. You should session. record every single songwriting session and get as much as you can recorded because uh, this story will come up often in these episodes. It is quite literally as old as the music business. It's just nuts to me because everyone I know and talk to knows that already. But And then yeah. you'll go find some story and you're just like, oh shit, these people don't know about recording songwriting sessions. Yeah. It's just a predatory business. Like uh, it just is. You're good at what you do. You show up to record something and they're like, okay, this guy doesn't understand how songwriting credits work. Yeah, let's cut this. <laughs> I've said this before, but not on this podcast. I think there are really are two different kinds of people. And I know these people. I have a friend, the first time he picked up a paintbrush when he was in his 30s sometime, he literally was like, oh my God, I have to do this for the rest of my life. It clicked. Something in there made sense in his head where he was like, I want to be a painter. I have to paint. And whether he makes money or not doing it, he just paints. It's like an obsession that he has to paint because it scratches an itch that's just in there. And then there are other people, and this is true for, I think, all art. If you fucking make clay pots, it doesn't matter what kind of art you do. Once they realize they have a little bit of a talent or they get associated with somebody with talent they can leech off of, it's not actually about making art or making music. It's about making money and having power and being famous. I think that's who The weekend is. 
That's the weekend. And it's not just the weekend and plenty of other people, especially in the pop world that don't give a shit about music. It's about fame. It's about being rich. It's a brand. It's a brand. It's about like, look at me, brand that could be anybody else and will be somebody else. As soon as your fame dies off or you say something stupid on Twitter, you'll just be replaced. For that reason, I'm about done with discussing this guy's music because it really just seems like an afterthought in a lot of ways, even to him. But before we do move on from the music, while we're still on the mixtapes, I think it's really funny the difference between some of the stuff that was on House of Balloons, which was a product of his still having Jeremy Rose around versus everything that came after that. The post Jeremy days versus the Jeremy days. Yeah. The contrast is real right out of the gate. Abel named the second mixtape Thursday. This guy is releasing music under the name The Weeknd. And then the second thing he puts out is titled The Day Thursday. If your name is The Weeknd, you should only be allowed to make music about The Weeknd. It's just false advertising <laughs> for a guy named The Weeknd to write songs about anything other than weekends. What's this song called? It's called Hump Day. But Hump Day's Wednesday, dude. It's not The Weeknd. You're supposed to be The Weeknd guy. You're supposed to like, think about The Weeknd. Don't make me think about fucking Thursday, man. <laughs> it starts on Friday night. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. This is all you get. Mondays if it's a three-day weekend, man. Shut the fuck up about Thursday, bro. The Weeknd named his first proper album, Kiss Land, as if a theme park. I've got to imagine this is probably something that was on Michael Jackson's short list of potential names for his estate before settling on Never Never Land. <laughs> Can we call it Kiss Land? We're going to call it Kissing Land. There's going to be a kissing booth. There's going to be a Ferris wheel, but you got you to gotta kiss to get on the Ferris wheel. What was Abel thinking when he named an album Kiss Land? And don't try to tell me he was joking. He was dead serious. One of the songs on this album has the lyrics, you can meet me in the room where the kisses ain't free. You got to pay with your body. I like it when people rhyme. Uh, body. Body with free. <laughs> so on top of still being married to the most boring possible way to describe events that we are supposed to track as illicit and debauched, there's no chance that dude meant kiss land like a joke. He's being dead serious, which again is deeply funny and pathetic, just not in a way that he realizes. I just feel like that's what no shit like a 10 year old or 11 year old would say. Have you ever seen any Todd Salon's movies like <laughs> Welcome to the Dollhouse, uh, yeah. Happiness? Oh, God. Listen to what I'm telling you. If you're listening or watching this on YouTube or wherever, do not watch Happiness. If you've never seen any Todd Salon's films, only <laughs> press play if you're looking to have your day ruined. <laughs> your week <laughs> fucking ruined. <laughs> brutal movies all of this comes off like if todd solon's made a movie about a pop star it would be this if you were to go to a middle school and say hey boys what is the <laughs> perfect place to go they would be like kiss land or they'd be like boobyville he apparently thinks wet vaginas <laughs> and wet naps are comparable so maybe I it mean, was still a version when he wrote who's it to say who is to maybe, say maybe he had never actually experienced a woman as often happens on this show i tried to listen to a bunch of this guy's actual music i sat down i've got a couple hours i'm going to listen to this dude's music and get some idea of it after two or three albums of this bullshit, all of the songs really started to sound the same. Yeah. Usually when that happens for an artist that I'm listening to for this show, I think, all right, I could probably stop listening to this because there's a 0% chance this guy's going to do anything in a song that would actually be surprising or unexpected. But this time 
when it all started to sound the same to me, I had a different thought, which was, wait a minute. Isn't this the guy whose music went viral on Twitter a few years ago when some dude annihilated him by pointing out that every one of his hit songs uses the same four note interval? And of course it was. In 2020, a guy on Twitter named Andrew Huang, that's H-U-A-N-G, sorry if I butchered the pronunciation, transposed a bunch of The weekend's biggest songs to be in the same key and then used a MIDI controller to demonstrate that they all use this same four-note interval over and over and over. It just proves to you that it's just bullshit. But then again, it's pop music, so this is kind of what I expect. Writing pop music is harder than anything. You've got to write hits. Those hit songs have to resonate. Oh, look, are you sure? Are you sure you're not just singing the same fucking four notes over and over again and literally no one seems to be able to notice? Yeah. Also, I just thought about this. Like, pop artists should never release more than four songs at a time. There's like four songs in every album that they put out that people give a shit about and the rest of it's just filler. So just put out four song EPs because that's like 99% of pop music right now. Hall & Oates put out fucking albums. Top to bottom, every song on there was a better pop song than anything written today. Officially release only EPs with only your hit songs on it and then take all the bullshit filler stuff and paywall it. Start a fucking fan club you and go. you just piecemeal those songs out, release one every so often and tell them they're like deep cut behind the scenes B-sides or whatever. Yeah, look, this is like where I really got deep and I call the vagina something different, but I don't know what yet. We're gonna we're still working on a song, you know? Could you compare an asshole to like an ever-loving gobstopper? You could do that, right? <laughs> we're gonna come up with something good too, I promise. Poop shoot. <laughs> it's almost there. It's almost there. We're workshopping it. This is Mark Mosley talking. Uh, by this time, you probably have a good idea whether you agree with us or not. And if you don't like the podcast, that's completely fine. Everyone needs a moronic friend. Either way, we don't really care. We just like to get discussions going around all these topics, you know? If you're a fan of me, Tyler, do us a favor. Go ahead and share this episode. Yeah, tweet about it. Post it on your Facebook Actually, the thing I think you should do, click the little share button on whatever phone you have, send it to someone that you know likes the band of the episode that you're currently listening to. It is most important <laughs> thing that you know where your friends stand with these things. And the only way to know that is you send them this episode. You wait for the fallout to happen. Right, then go to yfbspod.com. You can get stickers, buttons, shirts. By the time you're hearing this, there's no telling what'll be in the store. Just get something. Yeah. Make sure if it's a sticker, like put it on your car. On the passenger side window. Facing in. After that friend doesn't even acknowledge that you sent them the episode, but they definitely listen to it. No way to resist it. It's kind of awkward the next time you see them. Sure. Especially when you're wearing a Your Favorite Band Sucks t-shirt, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. You'll like it. I'm trying, I'm trying a new catchphrase out. Yeah. You'll like it. You'll like it. Mark says you'll like it. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, like I said, I, there's really nothing interesting to talk about in the music, but there's still so much ground to cover in this episode. Uh, I want to talk about how many people believe that The Weeknd used to ghostwrite songs for Drake. 
this is a chance, I think, to have sort of an industry-wide discussion, and people tend to like it when Mark and I do that. This entire Drake uses a ghostwriter thing started because Drake was not out there acting as if the Meek Mill song he featured on was the new best rap song of all time. And Meek Mill was upset that Drake wasn't out there promoting this song. First of all, a lot of the kids these days are fucking morons. And I've even seen young people in this industry get this wrong. So I guess I need to say what ghostwriting actually means. Ghostwriting does not mean that you wrote a song with some other people. So you credit them as a writer on the song. Ghostwriting is when some other person or persons entirely write a song that you have nothing to do with writing. And then you pay those people to not be credited for writing the song so that you as the artist can say you wrote it entirely yourself. That shit does still happen. That's what ghostwriting is. If you can look in the album credits and see the name of everyone who helped write the song, those people are not ghostwriters, even if you've never heard of them before. Even if they're not famous, they don't have their own careers as recording artists. They're not ghostwriters. Those are professional songwriters. You want to call them something, you can call them song doctors. That's a term that has been used in the industry for a long time. Mm -hmm. Desmond Child is an example from rock music of a song doctor. He's come up on this show before, not because he is a ghostwriter, but because he is a professional songwriter. If he was a ghostwriter, you wouldn't know his name. That's his <laughs> whole job. The person that Meek Mill claimed was Drake's ghostwriter is a guy named Quentin Miller, who is credited on the song because he's not a ghostwriter. He's credited for the work he actually did on the Drake mixtape. If you're reading this, it's too late, which came out before that Meek Mill song. So why would Drake be out here giving a guy credit for co-writing on songs that have already come out and then just stop giving him credit? That wouldn't happen. The only reason that would happen is if he believed this song was so good, he wanted everyone to think he wrote it. Theoretically, if Drake was like, holy shit, this is the future of hip hop, I'm going to take credit for it. Maybe he would buy this guy a house to, to agree to let everyone think Drake wrote it. Mm -hmm. But that's not what happened. And if that is what happened, Drake would have been out there promoting the song, which is what Meek Mill got mad about in the first place. Meek Mill thought Drake wasn't out there promoting it enough, which Drake would have done if he had arranged to be credited as the sole author and thought it was a great song. Also, Quentin Miller has beef about not being paid properly for some of the work he did on this Drake stuff, but it, it doesn't have anything to do with Drake. And he says that it's a shitty deal, a bad deal that he made with other people, not Drake. And that sucks. But Quentin himself has straight up said he never did anything you could call ghostwriting for Drake. Man, people signed a lot of fucking bad deals in this business. Holy shit. Who knew? Even in the hip hop land. Use lawyers. Not in hip hop. There would never be bad contracts in there. <laughs> people always want to argue about everything. Nobody better come at me with some bullshit about reference tracks. If you don't know what a reference track is and how it works and what it's for, you definitely don't know enough to even try to be in this conversation. The other reason, though, that you can tell the weekend did not ghostwrite for Drake is that Drake, whose songs all have a fairly unified voice because he is actually a writer and he's funny as shit. Drake is fucking hilarious. Yeah. The weekend is completely not funny ever. If the weekend was Drake's ghostwriter, you would think that he would have kept back at least some of his funny quips about things or funny like comments, the double entendres that he uses. You think he would have been like, you know what, dude, I can't give you all of this because I too am an artist and I would like to keep some of these things that are really funny and witty for my own music. However, there's zero of that in the weekend's music. 
So you're telling me that he just gave Drake every great line that he ever wrote and never kept any of it for himself? Nothing that The Weeknd sings about is even remotely close to the level of intelligence of some of Drake's biggest songs. There's not an example of The Weeknd ever saying something as funny as Drake regularly says. Drake is consistently hilarious. Go listen to his part on the DJ Khaled song for free, short for this sex so good I shouldn't have to fuck for free. Drake talking about how good his dick is and it's fucking hilarious yeah. from beginning to end. It's a great song if you like that sort of thing. And it's way funnier than anything that The Weeknd has ever done or ever will do. Literally every single attempt of The Weeknd trying to be funny is pathetic. It's embarrassing. Even him trying to reference funny stuff comes off as awkward and weird. In loft music, the point that he's trying to make is that him and his friends fuck the same girls. And he does that by referencing Eddie Murphy in the movie Trading Places. Don't what? No, those two things don't work like that. Drake and Weekend uh, had a falling out at some point because of issues. I think it was him not signing with Drake's label and yes, signing his own it label was. instead. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you're the weekend, why not just fucking blow it up at that point? Why not just be like, whatever, dude, fuck you. I wrote all your songs. That's the perfect moment to be like, all right, well, if you're going to take a shot at me, I'll take a shot at you. And my shot at you is going to be, why don't you tell the people that I wrote that song and I wrote that song? The thing, too, is it's not like it was a secret. Again, Abel is credited as a writer on the songs that he was a co-writer on. That's not being a ghostwriter. It's not. No, getting credited, it's the exact opposite. It's like Especially ghost. when he's got features on the album, too. It's not like Drake's trying to keep this guy a secret. Quite the opposite. He still thought that dude was going to sign with his label, so he was trying to promote him. What is a ghost? What is ghost? Okay, first of all, it's a shitty metal band. Second of all, it's a fantastic fucking movie with Patrick Swayze. <laughs> Third of all, it's a fucking invisible thing that doesn't exist. I really just want to drive this point home because so many people are, don't know what it is. There's a backroom deal. You don't exist, meaning you don't get credited. Remember that plastic surgery bullshit that he either thought was smart or funny or something, and it was neither. It was just, okay, I guess this guy's going to try to be weird now. That face thing or whatever, where he made his face crazy and all that jazz. Yeah. There was a moment there, really, where I was like, oh, is this really just a performance art thing? Not in the way that he thought it was, but yeah. But then I watched an interview with him like a year later and I was like, oh, oh no, no, no. He takes himself very serious. But he shouldn't and it's weird and it brings this sort of strange vibe to it. What I think it was, so Drake was an actor first. We all know Drake's story. He was an actor first. When Drake became famous rapper guy, I, I don't know of anything that he's acted in off the top of my head. Certainly hasn't tried to be an actor at all. You could say he's always acting. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it's for the shtick of being Drake, sure. But he's not in movies, TV shows, like maybe like little random things. Whereas The Weeknd's doing it backwards. Like he's the musician first and everyone, you know, wants to get to a certain level of fame is like, okay, now that I've conquered music, I'm going to be an actor. And, you know, we know how that typically goes. Whereas Drake kind of did it the opposite. So now what we have left is The Weeknd, whose music is dated and probably just going to ever so slowly dissipate into nothingness and or get sued into oblivion for copying all the fucking other artists they ripped off, is going to try now to be an actor. Real fast, because Mark said that a bunch of people are going to try to argue with us about all of The Weeknd's plagiarism lawsuits. If you don't know about it, there are several to the point where there are entire articles about 
all of the times that he's been sued for plagiarism. Uh, a lot of people who don't know what the things they read mean are going to want to yell at us about how all those lawsuits were settled or dropped. I'm sure there are one or two instances of the lawsuit being from a, what's known as a copyright troll. I'm sure there are examples of one or two of these cases being thrown out, but there are a lot more than one or two of them. And uh, when they say that it was dropped or settled out of court without knowing all of the details of each specific case, I can assure you that that probably doesn't mean what you seem to think it means. You wrote a song, a pop song and or just a song, and you released it online between 1999 and 2009. You probably should listen to the entire weekend catalog and make yeah, sure that he might have gotcha. <laughs> yes, sampled your music that never really did anything. And you may not even fucking realize it. Also, just real fast before we move entirely on from him not being funny. This guy did a guest spot on the cartoon American Dad. So right out of the gate, you know, that wasn't funny. If you go watch it, you'll find out it's even less funny than you could imagine it would be. But just the fact that Abel heard that he got a call from American dad and said, yeah, let's call him back. That's how you know this dude isn't funny. It doesn't matter what the request is. It's a no, dude. I've seen your shit. No. <laughs> I'll do it. I do American dad all day. You are an American dad, though. <laughs> it's true. It just fits the whole thing. Thanks to the good people at HBO, which is no longer going to be called HBO, probably oh, yeah. because of shit like this. We're going to get to witness the weekend acting. We have to close on this because there's a chance that by the time this episode comes out, this TV show will have actually been released. Although there has not been a release date announced as of yet because it's a shit show. The weekend is not only in this show as an actor, but he's also involved in the writing and everything. But to me, it sounds more like something else happened because so even though the initial announcement about the show hyped it up as being from the minds, uh, from the twisted minds who brought you Euphoria and The Weeknd. Twisted minds. It was hyped up as being created by The Weeknd, among others. It seems like the among others were the ones who did most of the real work because about a year after the show was first announced, there was this other announcement. <laughs> among others is doing a lot of heavy about, lifting. <laughs> yeah, about um, this whole series being given an overhaul, which really, and the, when you look into the full story of it, it really seems like The weekend in particular is who was given the scripts, saw this TV show he was going to be in, and demanded a bunch of changes. So it doesn't seem like he really was a mind, heavily involved. And then when he got the story was like oh no we got we got to make a bunch of changes now side note it is really funny that this guy is at all involved in making a tv show because there's an old interview he did with rolling stone magazine in 2015 this is about to become funny for a whole different reason but this old rolling stone magazine interview abel refers to himself as a cinephile and tries to expound upon branding himself as a cinephile mm. by starting to talk about how much he likes martin scorsese films liking Scorsese movies does not make you a cinephile it means you've bought a ticket to a movie you've gone to see a movie I really think of myself as a real metalhead cool who's your favorite band Metallica Metallica, Metallica. yeah 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 it's like what the fuck that's the most simplistic you're answer a, of all time you're not a cinephile you watch movies the same way as anyone else who's ever watched a movie and honestly I think this one little thing this one little detail that he's shared about himself is sort of enough to 
pull focus out and you get the whole person that he is because this is definitely the kind of guy who is extremely normal and enjoys extremely normal things but for some reason decides to start behaving as if he is in fact extraordinary in fact a bizarre genius I, yeah, I mean, I just like movies probably more than you do. Okay, cool. What do you like? Uh, have you ever seen Goodfellas? It's really <laughs> fucking good. Oh, my God. It was just done so well. It hit me so deeply. I remember many times in my life where I thought I watched a lot of movies, and then I met people that were actually really obsessed with movies, and I was like, oh, have you seen blah, blah, blah? And then that's how I ended up watching Happiness. Never trust an actual <laughs> cinephile to give yeah. you. If somebody is a legitimate cinephile, they will fuck your life up because they like fucked up shit. Don't listen to them. Now, The weekend is not an actual cinephile. So if he says he watches Scorsese films, that's great. You should watch them all. Fantastic movies. But that doesn't make you a movie nerd by any stretch. He is on board with making this TV show called The Idol. And one of the things he said after being shown the original version of it is that the show was too feminist. So they needed to change the show to make The Weeknd happy. And apparently what made him happy was to turn the series into what members of the production team who subsequently quit described as torture porn and a rape fantasy where mm. the weekend's character just abuses this female pop singer in various ways. And that is basically the entire point of the show. There's no deeper anything to it. It's just him thinking that he is supposed to bring something fucked up to the table and just coming up with something fucked up for no reason. Personally, I think there's a really good chance this show actually doesn't make it out. And the reason being is like they made an entire fucking Batgirl movie. <laughs> or was he? Yeah, I think it was. Can Batgirl, you imagine right? how bad that movie has to yes. be? With it? Oh, never mind. Yo, they spent. <laughs> what did they spend? Like fifty million dollars or something like that, or A more? Superhero movie. Yes, <laughs> A fucking DC superhero movie. I want to see that movie so bad. And I think that what they did by canceling it, which obviously they're going to release it at some point. Sure. They got a shitload of free PR. Oh, sure. And there's no such thing as bad press. Because there are going to be people who need the movie to be great so that the studio guys can be wrong because that's the narrative that is more satisfying for them to experience. The thing that I think is really cute about this is that this story comes out about how actually fucked up this show is going to be now. And everyone is sort of realizing that The weekend might be a creep to have thought about these things. And... Yeah, after he got super popular, he did the thing everyone does where they soften the edges and clean up their act so they can literally get songs on the soundtracks of multiple Disney movies. The early stuff, anyone who's looked at the lyrics of basically any song from the first few years he was making music knows this dude is problematic, to say the least. It's just sort of one of those things where if this is your idea that you came up with, that's still in your head somewhere. Like mm-hmm. you might be saying it's a character or right. whatever, but you, th- you thought of this. You seem to only think of this. Yes. You and your friend came up with the idea to be dark and sinister R and B a long time ago. You might not necessarily have been the one at the front of that idea, but now that you are the one making money from that idea, these are the things that you think people want in that category, which does say something about you. I, I personally can't wait to watch this. I think it's going to be really fucking oh, great. Oh, it's going to be super bad. And I don't think there's then, enough drugs in the world for me to do it. This guy's been doing fucked up shit to women in his songs for years. I, so this isn't anything new. In the song, 
the host seems to be about him getting a groupie to fuck everyone in his entourage while he films it. Yeah. I mean, there's a really solid chance this dude is a misogynist and probably a piece of shit. And if you're thinking, hey, some gals want to get down with a bunch of dudes at the same time and there's nothing wrong with that, you're right. Except the song High for This has already let you know this guy gives girls ecstasy to get them high so he can fuck them without a condom, mm. which is actually rape. That's Do not do that. Actually. Yes. Just rape. Very much inappropriate behavior that you should absolutely not do. And I'm sure he thinks that some of this show is funny, but the funniest part of the entire TV show is that Rolling Stone magazine is who broke the story about him taking this huge left turn and this show becoming a shit show and everything. And The weekend responded to that by posting a clip from The Idol where he says there's no reason for the pop star girl that he is abusing to do an interview with Rolling Stone because the magazine is irrelevant. Now, that happens to be true. In any other situation, I would just be thinking, yeah, what that character is saying in this scene is actually just true. The dialogue and acting is so hilariously bad that that is all that anyone paid attention to. Yeah. The entire <laughs> comment section, like a thousand comments, assuming they haven't deleted any or more, were just roasting, straight up roasting the weekend for how bad he was at acting. And it is genuinely bad. The only defense that I saw was people being like, well, he's not an actor. It's like, well, yeah, you're right. And he should stay, it should stay that way. That's the whole point. It's only like a three minute clip, but it's really, really bad. If you can't hit your lines and make this three minutes of a show believable, like how are we going to watch three hours of this? I think there's a good chance that his people at this point are probably like, let's not put that out. He uh, definitely thought he was posting a mic drop on Rolling Stone. Dude, he, he thought he was roasting yeah. the shit out of them for and, real. He was like, he tweeted <laughs> something like, oh, you mad about this Rolling Stone? But then the entire internet is not on the weekend side. They're just like, A, it sounds like what you're doing is actually as fucked up as what they said. B, if this is your incredibly juvenile response to it, that C is also an example of this show is probably going to be just terrible. It's just a fail. I think he's about to hit Madonna territories of just being thoroughly unlikable and offboarding fans every year. This will destroy your fucking career, dude. Literally, this is going to blow up in your face. The lady that does the progressive commercials is a better actor than you. Easily, yeah. Do not put this out. This shit will sink your fucking career. I think that conversation is probably going to happen, but I also, already I also don't know that it's going to matter much because part of the story now is that when The Weeknd got involved and added all this torture and rape stuff, then a bunch of people quit the show or got fired or whatever happened and aren't coming back. But they had filmed like the whole thing. They have done so much work on the first version of this show and spent a significant percentage of their budget so then when all those people leave, the Euphoria guy comes over and gets hands-on. He takes over. He is HBO's little star child right now because Euphoria is such a big hit. Yeah. They'll let him do whatever he wants. And apparently, they're spending like crazy. There isn't an actual official budget for the new version of the show, which they could still be making. I don't know. 
they could still be in production on this. No, there's not been a release date. No one really knows what's going on. And the whole time, millions of dollars are being spent. So there's <laughs> just really no telling what shakes out on the other side of this. I, I know what's happening. They're reshooting the entire fucking show. I think so. Yeah. yeah, they probably are for real. I read something like The Weeknd's letting them film in his house so they don't have to spend the money to get a set that looks like that. <laughs> Jesus. Just shit like that. Okay, guys, I guess everything's going fine over there then. You know, before we sign off real quick, um, I would like to say I'm, I, I really am like an anti-war person. I, I think war sucks and we should avoid war at all costs. You know what I mean? Like there's countries with nuclear weapons now and stuff, and that's really dangerous. But like nuke Canada is where you're headed. Yeah, with this, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Basically, what I would like to say is like, what the fuck, Canada? And I think it might be worth somebody explaining to the good people of Canada that if you continue to send these people over the border into our country to expose us to this garbage, we'll nuke Toronto. Again, I don't want to. I'm not a violent person, but if Montreal were laid to waste, would they continue to send us this? It's also like, what did we do to you to, exactly deserve, to deserve? We didn't do shit. We, I mean, yeah, we fuck up everyone else's day yeah, on we a regular basis, alone. but we were not really. We literally shit on half the world on an almost daily basis. We don't ever shit on Canada. Ever. What did we ever do to Canada to deserve this? Even culturally. The number of bands and artists that they have shipped to us is, is fucking maybe they, stupid. Well, maybe it's that they feel ignored. They're like, hey, pay attention to us. Pay, yeah, oh, you're yeah. going to pay attention to us? Well, you're going to pay attention to this. Also, why not just stay in Canada? If you're a Canadian artist, did you know you could just stay in Canada? Yeah, the government will force your art on yes, citizens. You don't even have to leave. You never have to step foot in America. Don't come. It's not safe. Canada is way nicer. Toronto is a very beautiful, safe city. Some American cities are not. So, you know, that's all I'm going to say. If your favorite band is The Weeknd. Your favorite band sucks. You are welcome for listening to another dark R&B aesthetic episode of your favorite band Sucks. Yeah, we recorded this one all the way back in February or March. So this conversation took place probably a couple months before we knew we were going to record and rush release the episode on AI technology in music and a couple months before the Idol TV show wound up being released. Obviously, there was that whole AI Drake and Weekend song that went viral, meaning Mark basically predicted that bullshit during this recording session. And if any new listeners to the show want to hear us talk more about AI in music, then you should definitely go find the episode titled AI Music Sucks. As for the idol, holy shit, I don't even really know where to start. I... Of course, watched the entire series because I simply cannot look away from such an epic dumpster fire as that. What I would really love is for someone to spend like a year writing an entire book that's just an oral history of how this TV show got made from beginning to end. Because if it's anything like I'm assuming there must be at least a dozen great stories here, I guess 
first, I should say, basically nothing in the series really came off as torture porn or rape fantasy, but I'm also guessing they cut all of that shit out after the big Rolling Stone article made the entire world hate the show before they even saw it. Because the show was originally supposed to be six episodes, and then magically at some point, all of a sudden, it became a five-episode TV series. Either all of the people who quit this show lied to Rolling Stone magazine about why they quit, or the show cut an entire episode's worth of terrible sex stuff from the final version. Speaking of terrible sex stuff, I really don't think it's possible for me to describe how awkward and non-erotic The weekend is as an actor in every single type of sex scene. It is actually unbelievable that anyone could make dirty talk and what's supposed to be kinky illicit sex seem so boring. And this is supposed to be the freaky sex music guy. Dude really built an entire career on top of allowing the imaginations of millions of people take over and fill in all the blanks and do all the work for him to create this mysterious sexy persona. All he had to do to stay on that ride was just shut the fuck up. All he had to do was not make this TV show, but he couldn't help himself. He had to let everyone know the kind of art that he's truly capable of. And uh, I'm still not done talking about this. By far, my favorite thing about the show was that The weekend really seemed to be confused about how certain pieces of the major label music business actually work. Namely, the character played by Jane Addams, who is a fantastic actor. And by the way, I did not know she was going to be in The Idol when we recorded this episode. But Jane Addams happens to play the lead character in the movie Happiness, which is a fucking insane movie. As Mark said, it is very disturbing. Um, but her performance in it is unbelievable. In The Idol, Jane plays an executive from the pop star girls record label. Now, I assume this is because Abel got so famous so fast he was able to launch his own record label and therefore does not actually know what it's like to be on a major record label, but he seems to think a major label basically has unbridled control over everything their artists can and can't do. The level of power he assigns to the Jane Addams character is sincerely laughable, and I guess that's what I would say regarding this show as a whole. Similar to The weekend's music and persona, The Idol is hilarious in all the places it does not mean to be and boring in all of the places it's trying to be sexy or scandalous. All right, enough talking about this faux, deep, mainstream, pretentious schlock. I bet you'd like to get the podcast back to considering the work of more serious artists with real talent. Well, that's too bad because when the podcast returns, it will be with an episode on Bob Seger. <laughs>